Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna jump in now. Um, yeah, because so I, I, I if you guys don't know this, I'm Italian and I'm always I, if I look over here, it's because I have all my notes. Uh, and Italians, when you have people over for dinner, you're always worried about not having enough food. And so what happens at the end? You have so much food, more extra than you ever imagined. And so in my study today, I I. I'm always afraid I don't have enough, but uh, I have like about eight or nine pages of notes, which is a lot, trust me, it's a lot. Um, and I have many, 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 many scriptures. Uh, so if you want to take notes, uh, you know, that's all good. Um, and then also just so you know, um, I know that uh, I know that uh, Lauren is uh, recording this. So if you want to listen to this another time to get more out of it, that is another way you can do it. Lauren, how do you are you putting that on the website? How are you going to do that? Do you know? It's going to be on YouTube later. Okay. Oh boy, now I'm on YouTube. It makes me really nervous. Okay. Well, so we're going to jump in and. Just so you know, it is a bit of a lecture. Uh, when we go into deeper, we're going to have, if you have a question, uh, just put it in the chat. And then uh, Leah, you pay attention to that. And then you stop me. Or when I take a break, I'm going to have a couple of times where I have uh, places for questions. But when we do into deeper, it's just a complete study. And I just have, uh, even the scriptures I have, I don't have all the scriptures that I have. Like I only, I took some scriptures, not everything I study. So I can only do so much in, in this time. And we're gonna be studying uh, the idea of freedom. Now, one of the things that I really wanna share as we get started is that when you, when you, if you, or let's say this way, if you really want to, um, study a subject uh, or do a what I would call a survey of the Bible in a certain subject, the best thing that you can do is take away all your thinking and just say, okay, okay, Bible, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to show me what this means. Because if you, what happens a lot of times, and I see people in studies, they go in uh, to the Bible already having some kind of box in terms of what they're studying. And so in so doing, you're actually going to end up finding what you already know, and that's not going to help you. Uh, so what I did was I really, I've been, I've been really looking into the, the idea of freedom for, oh boy, probably now uh, two or three months. And, you know, I, I spoke a little bit on it over the few, uh, a few weeks and uh, my next two messages, or at least my next message is going to still cover some of that freedom, but in the idea of the Holy Spirit. So uh, a lot of the thoughts that I have have been being poured out now. So what I did was I said, OK, Bible, you're going to show me what freedom is. And I'm not even going to try to define freedom right away. I'm going to try to get an idea 
as I read the scriptures of what you, as you mention freedom, as you talk about freedom, what are you really talking about? What does it really say? And then obviously, like I look at in, in the Old Testament, there's two words that they use for freedom. And I'll, and I'll show you those. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Old Testament first. And then we're going to look at uh, what Jesus said. And then you'll see as it all folds out as we, we talk. Now, what's really interesting about the, the idea of freedom is when you start looking at the Old Testament, you find that freedom is not, in a sense, really talked about in a quote-unquote spiritual way. Like, it's not like when we talk in the New Testament, you're going to see that Jesus starts talking about this whole idea of freedom from, in terms of soul and, and in terms of coming out of freedom from the bondage of sin. In the Old, in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of discussion on that. Uh, basically, actually, one of the major, uh, uh, the major thrusts of the Old Testament, um, and, and you know what, I just realized before, can, can we pray? I just realized I hadn't even prayed yet. So, I mean, I have been praying. I was just listening to some really great music and worshiping before this, but let's just open in prayer. Lord, Lord, I just, I, 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 I just want to be your servant tonight. I want us to try to understand your, your understanding of freedom. Because, Lord God, as I have studied it, Lord, I see that your way of freedom is really free. <laughs> it's such a blessing, Lord God. And, and, Lord God, when we live under your freedom, woo! So, Lord, I pray that you would help this servant to share that and to help, help us all understand what freedom is all about. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So going back in the Old Testament, one of the, 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 the primary idea of freedom actually revolves around slavery. And what we're going to find in the New Testament is Jesus keeps going on that idea, but in a, in a whole different way, especially Paul talks about slavery in a whole different way. Now, we have to understand something when we talk about slavery Slavery in, 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 in the Bible is a lot different than maybe we nowadays look at slavery. Uh, nowadays, slavery is actually uh, a total uh, oppression of a person, a total domination of a person. And God never wanted that for anyone. And in the Old Testament, we'll see that God never uh, didn't even look at that. He didn't even want that at all. As a matter of fact, he was always setting them free. And so I'll just share the first verse so that we can get into it. And I'll read them and I'll reference them and you can write them down and check them out later. But the first kind of idea of freedom is actually talked about in Exodus chapter 21, verse 20 and 22. Now, we're going to talk about the Exodus story because there is freedom there, and I'll get to that. But I really want to just talk about this idea of slavery. It says in Exodus 21, 22, if you're, if you're lost now, don't worry. It'll all come together as we go. Um, if you buy a Hebrew slave, and, and by the way, a Hebrew slave, that would be one of your own people, okay? So really, when he's talking about uh, slavery here, 
again, it's a whole different understanding. Uh, I should tell you this one other background. In the Old Testament, and probably in the New, but more in the Old Testament, there were times where people became slaves because they went bankrupt and they mismanaged their money and they mismanaged and so they were unable to feed their family. So what they would do is they would become a slave of say a good business owner or someone who was good with money. And the idea behind that was for them to be like uh, mentored and be an apprentice in order to pay off all their debts and then learn how to live free. Okay, so that's the idea. So in Exodus 21, 22, it says, if you buy a Hebrew slave, he, ma he may serve no more than six years, set him free in the seventh year, and he will uh, own, uh, owe you nothing for his freedom. If he is single when he became a slave, he shall, be, he, he shall leave single. But if he's married before he became a slave, then he is, then his wife is also free to be with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave, then, and they had sons and daughters, then only the man will be free on the, in the seventh year. But his wife and his children will still belong to the master. But the slave may declare, I love my, this is so important to hear. So, so let's stop there for a second. And so what we see is this man was able to go free after six years. So there was, a, there, was a, there was almost like a debt that was being paid and he was able to go free because God never wanted anyone to be owned by anyone. And we'll see this as we go. And he says, but in verse five, he says, but a slave may declare, I love my master, my wife and my children, and I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or a doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with a piece of wood, an owl. Uh, after that, the man will serve his master for life. And so this slave could actually declare that he wants to serve his master all his days. Now, I'm getting a little ahead, but I got to share this. In the New Testament, Paul and his letters in the New Testament will call himself almost all the time. You don't see it in some of the newer versions. He calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's it. This is really what he's, he's uh, saying. He's saying, I am free, but I'm declaring that I love my master. And I want to serve him all the days of my life. Now we'll talk about that later. So he says that. And then he says in verse seven, he says, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be free at the end of six years as men are. If she does not satisfy her owner, she must allow him, allow her to be bought back again. See, so the whole idea is to get free, but uh, he is not, he, uh, that's enough for that. That's understandable. If a slave owner arranges for her to marry a son, he may no longer treat her as a slave. So there's so many ways for someone who is a slave to be free from slavery. This is the whole point, is that God never desired anyone to be owned by someone else. And then we see it in Deuteronomy again in chapter 15. He says, if a fellow uh, Hebrew sells himself or herself to be 
your servant and serves you six years, in the seventh year, you must set the servant free. When you release the male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. See, this is a whole different concept of slavery than, than we see today. Today, I mean, you had to break out free or someone had to buy you and, and then set you free, but they owed you nothing. But here, we see here that there's this idea that if you're a slave owner, then you have a responsibility to this, uh, uh, this person and you're to set them free. And it says, don't even send them away empty-handed. He goes on and says, give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine presses. Share with him some of the bounty which, uh, with which the Lord your God has blessed you. So see, he's, he's really saying that when you set someone free, they are free and they should not just be left empty-handed. They should actually receive something for their labor. And then he says, remember that once, now he's going to use the reference back and we're going to talk about this in a minute. Remember, you were one slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. Uh, and so we'll just, that's, that's, oh, I got so much stuff. I'll stop here. So this whole idea in the Old Testament, there was a teaching of freedom, but it was used to describe what God desires and grants for a person to be a slave, that eventually they were to be free. According to the law, the law in the Old Testament, no person is to have complete mastery over another person. That's according to the law. So this idea that that's why we have to kind of when we when I started looking at this, you have to get all that understanding uh, and pictures and movies of what slavery is all about. It was completely different back then. And God's desire was that no one was ever to have mastery over another. Now, that's a really deep principle and something that carries out into the New Testament. So this idea of freedom now, we're starting to getting this idea is that God doesn't want anyone to be controlled by another person or by another master. And we'll see that even more in the New Testament. Let's uh, go on. It says, so the law kind of stipulates that a person can only be used in slavery for six years. And then it says, even if he's mistreated during that time, like during those six years, he's supposed to be released. So if you were a neighbor and you saw your fellow Hebrew brother mistreating a slave, you could actually say, you need to set him free because you're mistreating him. So this idea that even if you are over someone, you are supposed to love them, care for them, take care of them, all of that stuff is all part of this. Now, before we get into uh, freedom from in, in the idea of Egypt, there is another thing, and I'll get to it even in a minute, but it's the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was the 50th year. And on the 50th year, everyone was set free. All debts were paid. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. That is a huge uh, 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 foreshadowing for the New Testaments, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the second part in terms of the Old Testament 
other than just slavery, we're going to also deal uh, is dealing with the idea of Egypt when 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 the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. That is this is a huge foreshadowing of what God desires. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but if you don't know the story, uh, uh, Israel was actually saved during the famine. They moved to Egypt, but over the years, the Pharaoh uh, ended up making them slaves and then they were oppressed and they were in slavery, uh, just like we understand slavery today. They were beaten, they were whipped, they were owned, they were controlled by the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh had that. And then obviously in Exodus chapter three, it says, uh, verse seven, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. See, God doesn't like oppression. He hates oppression. And yeah, well, I don't wanna get ahead of myself. And I have heard their cries, the cries of Israel and their distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into uh, their own fertile and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, uh, I'm kidding, um, you know, where they are now. And then he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel have reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians are abusing them. And then he tells Moses, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And so then we see a series of uh, miracles and plagues that God does. And he delivers God's people out of bondage. Now, when we look at a big picture here, we can see uh, a huge overshadow over and over in the Old Testament, uh, the writers always go back to this place. It says, remember, once you were delivered from Egypt. Uh, now, it's interesting that when they came out of Egypt, because Egypt was a, was a uh, we could say, is a symbol of, of bondage, and God delivers them out. Uh, Moses didn't deliver them. God said, I will deliver them. I'm going to use you. And he delivered them out. And then they come to the Red Sea. And when they go through the Red Sea, uh, the New Testament actually says that's like baptism. He actually references that. And then what does it do? They are delivered out of bondage and they are brought to God. This is very, very important that we understand this that they're brought out of bondage and then God leads them to his holy mountain. So they are to leave Egypt and then they are to go out and they are to serve the Lord. Or Moses says it this way, we are to go out to worship, which worship actually means worship is service to the Lord or um, honor to God, respect to God. So they are leaving to, to go out there. So this is a huge uh, understanding of freedom, that God wants to set his people free, that he wants to lead them out of bondage of slavery and bring them to, um, to the mountain, bring them to the Lord. So this is this whole, and, and I could go into it, but I have so much to get to in the New Testament that we're just kind of very going very quickly here in the Old Testament. 
So that's one of the biggest uh, motifs of the Old Testament in terms of freedom. Now, um, when you look into uh, the other books like Judges and First Kings and Second Kings and Samuel and all those, what you see when it talks about freedom, most of it is freedom from uh, the war, like the freedom from those that are oppressing them. The Philistines come in and then God sets them free. So you see this constant cycle uh, of how, which is very interesting, how the people of Israel, they, they forgot the Lord or they stopped serving the Lord. And because of that, they went into uh, bondage or they went into captivity would be the better word. They went into captivity of the enemy and then God comes in, they, they, they repent and God delivers them out. And so we see this constant uh, deliverance idea of freedom throughout the Old Testament. And I need to cover this because this is important. So I just, I did really quick. You saw how quick I went. But the year of Jubilee is a very, very interesting event. It's actually something that never occurred in history. The Jews never did the year of Jubilee. Uh, I do believe it's coming, but that's another issue. Um, the year of Jubilee, this is a, what, what, it, what, it, uh, what it's meant to do is it's meant to set everything free. It's to cancel out all debts. It's actually found in Leviticus chapter 25, verse eight. It says, in addition, now he's going through all the laws. He says, you must count off 70 Sabbath years, or seven, sorry, seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, which add up to 49 years. Let's just get it that way. Um, then on the day of atonement, on the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. S set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. Uh, it will be the, a jubilee year for you. Uh, when each of you may return, excuse me, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be the, a jubilee year for you. During that year, you must not plant in your fields or store any of the crops that grow in your own land. Do not gather the grapes from unpruned uh, vines. It is the year of jubilee for you, and you must keep it holy. You may eat whatever the land produces on that year. The year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belongs to your ancestors. And so there was this idea that all debts, all debts were to be paid. All uh, land owning was all to return. It's almost like a, a huge reset. And actually Jesus did that. And actually in, in Revelation, I believe is the fullness of all of it, but we won't, we won't go that way. I could have studied the year of Jubilee forever. And that's why I'm just touching on it but is something that the Israel nation never did. And you can understand why, uh, because uh, uh, who wants to return land? Who wants to give back what they own? Who, so like, let's say, uh, let's say uh, me and somebody else 
there was like, we were in the 47th year and that person came to me and wanted to borrow money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him borrow money. Why? Because in two years, I would have had to just give it all back. And so this idea of the Jubilee year is something that never occurred, but it's something I believe that God desired. Now, of course, Jesus restores everything. And so we see that Jesus, that's why when he says, I want to proclaim, he almost is saying, I want to proclaim the year of Jubilee or the, uh, the, the year of the Lord's favor. He's really kind of referencing that kind of stuff. So that's the year of Jubilee. So we have, we have the deliverance from Egypt. We have this idea of slavery. We have this year of Jubilee. Those are three big themes throughout the, the Old Testament. And then we have this idea of the cycle of uh, uh, the, um, the cycle of Israel getting kind of going into captivity because of their sin and forgetting the Lord and the Lord delivering. This is what we see happening in the Old Testament. Now there's one more thing, and I find this extremely interesting as we get into the prophets. The prophets are really interesting when it comes to the idea of freedom. And this is something I think we all need to really learn. Now I'm preaching a little bit. As I teach, I tend to preach. Forgive me because I'm a preacher. The, the prophets, when they began to talk about sin in the land, when, 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 when they began to start yelling at the people and, 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 and kind of prophesying to the people that were during that time, what you found is they were very, very much. So, so like when, if I was to say to you, um, you need to stop sinning. Many times what we do in our minds when someone says we must stop sinning, we think of like actions, you know, like I lied, cheated, stole, lusted, you know, we kind of go down that list. But when we look at the, when we look at the prophets, yes, they talked about some of those things, but one of the main themes that they talked about was oppressing people, was the oppression of people. They over and over again talked about this so many ways. And so in some ways, what they did was they yelled at business people and said, you guys are oppressing your people. You're taking advantage of these people. And then you go to the temple and you give your offerings as if uh, uh, you know everything is okay. Like in, in Isaiah uh, chapter one and two, you see him screaming about this. He's saying your offerings are no good because you're oppressing. You are not giving justice to people. So the idea of oppression and justice was huge in the prophets. And sometimes I think we are, we are, when we think of repenting from our sins, we tend to think so little, like, uh, meaning like little sins. I hate to say it that way. Forgive me. I don't know how else to say it, but we never deal with like the idea of justice, the idea of oppressing people or taking advantage of people and, 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 and cheating people. But this is what the prophets always screamed about and, and talked about. And he was, they were always saying, you know, stop doing this so people can be free. So we see this, you know, um, in, in the, in the, in the idea of, I can give you Isaiah 58 verse six, 
Isaiah, obviously we all know 61, one. I'm gonna share that in a minute. Jeremiah 34, one, all of these things. Uh, in, in Isaiah uh, chapter one, verse 17, he says, learn to, this is, now he's talking about in the context of doing righteousness and not sinning. He's saying, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So like, you know, if I say to you, like, what are some of the like bad sins? Would you have named? Well, one of the sins is we don't, we don't, uh, we don't defend the widow. Most people aren't going to say that, but in the prophets, this is one of the things. Uh, uh, Zechariah seven ten says, "Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, those who are journeying, or the poor, and let none of you uh, devise evil." against another in a heart. So this idea of justice and oppression, this all has uh, this imagery that God wants freedom for people. And this is, this is the idea that we get in freedom. Malachi 3, 5 says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired uh, worker in his wages. Woo! Think about business now. Think about businessmen. I'm not trying to knock businessmen, but that's who he's talking about. You're oppressing your hired uh, uh, worker. I, I, I talked to someone uh, just when the, I was actually very mad at them. It was during the beginning of the COVID. Uh, they immediately, they had had workers they had had workers for five to you know, seven years, same workers. And as soon as, uh, as soon as the COVID hit, they laid them off. And then they came to me and asked me to give them some baco. I was like, how much money have you made off of them in the last seven years? It's time for you to take care of your people. Uh, they didn't like what I said to them, but just trying to, just, just following over here, you know? Uh, so it says, uh, the, it says uh, uh, for those who, you know, who hire workers in, uh, you know, who oppress workers in their wages, the widow and the fathers against those who thrust, uh, like who, uh, who hurt those that are journeying and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So it's very much justice and oppression, uh, this idea that the prophets have Jeremiah 5.25 says, your, listen to this, your iniquities have turned, uh, uh, have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. So he's talking about your sins are hurting you. For wicked men are found among your people. They lurk like uh, uh, men uh, or, 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 or animals in wait to, to, for their prey. They set a trap, they catch men like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, see, so he's talking about like oppressing people and caging them. Therefore, uh, they, uh, and, and then they become great and rich off of these people. It says in, in uh, Jeremiah 5.25, they know no bounds of evil. They, uh, they judge not with justice uh, and the cause of the fatherless. 
to make it, pro uh, excuse me, to make it profit, uh, prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. See all this idea of justice and oppression. The prophets were so much into this, and I think, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Book of Revelation. When you read, when you read the prophets, you need to really look at what they're saying, not like what they're telling about the future. Everybody's always talking about the future. If you look at the prophets now, they are forth telling and they are telling us a truth about oppressing people and about not caring and not having justice for the fatherless, for the widows and all those things. They hold those in high places of sin, if I could say it that way, and something that we need to carry. So we can see that the prophets we're really into seeing op oppression go away. Why? Because there was this overriding understanding of freedom. Now there is in the, in, the, in, the, in the prophets, there is places that talk about this kind of idea of inner freedom. See, when Jesus came, he talked all about that. And that's what we're going to get to because they didn't really do it so much in the Old Testament. Uh, and so like in Ezekiel chapter 36, talks about a new heart. In, 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 in 2 Chronicles 7, it talks about this idea that there will be a whole new way of living. Um, and then there's the other part is the prophets talked about the restoration of land. This is a huge part in the Old Testament, this idea that they will end up possessing a new land. Isaiah 11, 1, he says this, this, this kind of covers it all out of the stump of David. So what it's saying is out of the generation or from the line of David, uh, there, will be, there will grow up a branch bearing fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The, and it's talking about Jesus here. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In, in verse six, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and the child and a child will lead them. The cow will graze near, uh, near the beer, the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely in the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm nothing will hurt or destroy uh be destroyed on my holy mountain as the waters fills the sea so the earth will be filled with uh, with the people or the knowledge of the lord and so that we get this idea of the whole restoration of land the whole restoration of the world and when we see that we see this whole new way of living where um where uh sorry i'm getting a message I'm just checking. Oh, see ya, see ya, Haresh. A whole new way of living in a whole new uh, realm where there's freedom and safety and peace. Okay, so what do we learn? I know I went really fast. I mean, that was so fast. Uh, it was a survey of the Old Testament and it was like lightning fast. So when we look at the Old Testament, what we see is that there's like four kind of things and principles. Freedom from oppression, freedom from slavery, 
the idea of leaving bondage and serving God, uh, uh, the idea of, of uh, oppression, denouncing and saying oppression is wrong, and then this overriding thing that never took place, the year of Jubilee. So I did that like lightning fast. So forgive me if I went so fast. Now, before I leave the, the Old Testament, uh, there's two, only two, really two words in the Old Testament, two Hebrew words that are used for the idea of freedom. So now we're getting to the definition of freedom, okay? So in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the two words are dror and chofesh. Draw being D-R-O-R, that's one word. And the other word is C-H-O-F-E-S-H. Dror and Chofesh. I think I'm saying it right. Forgive me, I don't do Hebrew well. Now the first word, Dror, means the freeing of slaves. It refers to one who dwells within his own domain and does not fall under anyone else's control. So he's like his own being and there's no one in control over him. He is free. That's what that word means. Um, in the Torah, they, that word is also used, which is very interesting, which means like, it means like to be pure like this idea of uh, this oil or pure myrrh. So this idea of pure, which is beautiful. So you have this picture of this freedom uh, that no one is in control over you. And then we have this idea of uh, purity. That's a beautiful picture of what freedom really is. Now, the other word, uh, chofesh, uh, actually refers to the idea of uh, it doesn't refer to freedom of slavery, but it refers to freedom from work. So like you're, you're, you no longer have to work, uh, like you're done with your work, which is another interesting uh, word that is used in the Old Testament for the idea of freedom. So, all right, let's see here. Uh, before I move on to the New Testament, I'm just gonna pause for a second. I did that, I think, in 40 minutes. Sorry, I went so fast. But the New Testament is so much better. <laughs> That's why I went fast in the Old Testament. Uh, is there any questions, comments, or thought about what I just shared? Remember, this class is called Deeper, so that's why we don't just cover the light stuff. No comments. If not, I will move on. I will wait a second, raise your hand, maybe throw it in the chat. Is there a chat? Let's see. Uh, thank you for sharing. Okay. Yep, they got to head off. Okay. Anyone? Any comments? Thoughts? If not, I'm going to jump into the really good stuff. Yeah? All right. Last, last chance. Never ask another question. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so when we enter into the idea uh, of the New Testament, we have all that overriding context that I just gave you. But what has happened now um, in, 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 in the New Testament, I have to give a little context to the background 
of the way people were thinking about freedom because they weren't thinking of just freedom in terms of slavery. In fact, I don't think that they were thinking a lot about that because they really weren't in that Egypt idea, but they were under control. They were under control of the Romans. And so the context of, of uh, freedom to, to a Jew at this point was the overriding of understanding that God wanted Israel to be a free nation that they wanted to be freed from the political and governing uh, bodies, uh, especially Rome. And they really didn't like Rome too much, uh, but they, so the idea of freedom to them in a lot of ways was uh, political freedom. So this is why when Jesus came, there was misunderstandings. If you remember, even the disciples still did not fully grasp the idea for in like Acts chapter one, the disciples said, is it at this time that you will free us, that you'll like get us out of this uh, uh, freedom from Rome? And of course, Jesus answers a whole different way because they didn't understand. So this idea that they were free, uh, they, were to, they wanted to be free from uh, the Rome. Now, it was also, and I don't want to get into this because it's a whole other subject, but the, there's a constant feeling of the people being burdened by the idea of the law. So there was this very much uh, oppression on people by the religious leaders of that time who said, you must follow the law to the letter. You know, you must follow it because if you do, then you'll be right with God. And so there was this constant striving this constant always trying to uh, get to God through our works and our acts. And if anybody has tried that, they know how tiring that can be. And so Jesus comes on the scene. Luke chapter four, verse 18, he starts out and his first declaration, in a sense, public reading of the scriptures is to declare this idea of freedom. In Luke chapter 8, verse uh, 18, he quotes Isaiah 61. Uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released or be set free, that the, bl excuse me, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. See how he's, he's quoting all the stuff we talked about. He is saying, it is time for freedom, baby, it's time. And, and then he says, and that is, it is time for the Lord's, uh, the year of the Lord's favor or the Lord's favor has come. And in a sense, he's kind of referencing uh, Jubilee, but not, not fully, but you know, he's saying it's time. This is the year, this is time for freedom. And he screams freedom out. It says he rolled the scroll up in verse 20 and he handed it back to the attendant. He sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue looked at him, and then he began to speak to him. He said, the spirit, the, the scriptures you have just heard have been fulfilled today. And so Jesus, when he began to talk about uh, uh, his ministry, his whole goal was to set people free. And that's why I'm going to put a plug in for our, uh, our, our community here and ICCIFGF. Our whole mission 
is to set people free. That's what we want to do. We want to set people free. And hopefully we understand what freedom is. And one of this idea is the freedom from oppression. So over and over again, Jesus talked about freedom. And I'm just going to reference a couple of spots. And then we're going to really get into the deep stuff or the good stuff. John chapter 8, Jesus says this to his disciples. He said to the people who believed him, you are my true disciples. If you remain faithful to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so this idea that truth will set you free, this idea of freedom, meaning you will no longer be under the control as we Kind of defined it you will no longer be under the control of anyone or well anyone i'll just say it that way you will have your own uh you'll be under your own domain and i, I will get to this jesus said i tell you the truth if anyone sins listen to this now this is really interesting because he goes on in the context of freedom and says this jesus replied in verse 34 chapter 8 he says i tell you the truth Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Oop, bing. We hear the word slave again. We hear this idea of slavery again. Very interesting. He says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of uh, the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So now he's using kind of a couple of analogies here. He's using the idea of slavery and the idea of family, okay? So he's saying that if you, uh, uh, if you, uh, anyone who sins is a slave, what is a slave? Someone who is under the power or under the control of another. And he says a slave isn't part of the family. So what he's saying is you who believe you're in a family and he takes you away from this idea of slavery and he brings you to the idea of being a permanent member of the family. So a slave is not a permanent member of the family. He's been, he may be around it. He may be hanging with the family. He may be serving that family for a long time, but he's not part of it. And so he is, he has, you have to be a son to be part of that. <clears throat> I want to get, oh, I'm jumping too quick. Okay. So, and then we see also in John chapter three, where Jesus says what? You must be born again, born uh, uh, from above in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now, for me to talk about freedom, we have to go into a different subject for us to fully understand what freedom is about. And this is where finally, for me, the light went on in understanding what freedom, really true freedom that the Bible talks about, like where it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, now the, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's this idea that you are under no control of anyone, you know, uh, it says in, 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 in Romans chapter 8, it says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. 
And so we have this idea that he's setting you free from this power of sin and death. Now, for me to really get there, to, for you to truly understand freedom, I have to talk about another subject first. What, what Jesus did when he came to the world, he started talking about two, or he started talking about kingdoms. This is something very important to understand. He started talking about kingdoms and basically started talking about two kingdoms. There were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of darkness and there was the kingdom of light. He started talking about these two kingdoms. That's why he says in Matthew chapter six, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. He's starting to talk about this idea of kingdom and kingdom means realm. It means kind of like dominion. You get a better understanding when he talks about it in Luke chapter 12, he says, the pagan world runs after such things. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 30. The pagan world runs after such things. Your father knows what you need, but seek his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and these things will be given unto you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So he keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom. As I said in chapter, uh, in chapter three of John, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Over and over again in the parables, he talks about the king and the kingdom. He keeps talking about the king and the kingdom. And then he starts mentioning the other kingdom. John chapter 12, he says, a time for judging of this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world or the ruler of this kingdom will be cast down. John chapter 14, I don't have much to, uh, I don't have much more time to tell you because the ruler of this world approaches and he has no power over me. John chapter 16, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world is already being judged. So we see this idea of like two worlds, two kingdoms. Jesus kept saying, what? I am not part of, I am not of this world. I am of another kingdom. John chapter eight, this is huge in John chapter eight. The whole chapter of eight really talks a lot about this. He said, Jesus, Jesus said, you are from above. He's talking to his disciples. Uh, you are, excuse me, he's talking about these guys who are not his disciples. He says, you are from below. I am from above, verse 23. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am who I claim to be. You will die in your sins. Later in chapter 30, in verse 31 in chapter 8, this is when the, 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 the Pharisees go nuts. The people go crazy. Jesus said, he said to the people who believe in him, you are truly my disciple if you remain faithful to me. And then he says what? Again, you hear this, this phrase, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then, and then the reply, 
but we are the descendants of Abraham. We have, listen to this, we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will set us free? See, they never understood that they were actually slaves, that they were actually under the dominion of something or someone. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member, as I said before. If the son sets you free, you are free. Verse 37, yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because you have no room in your heart. I am telling you, I am telling you what I saw when I was with the father, but you are not following the advice of your father. And then they scream, our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, no, it isn't. If you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me, blah, blah, blah. No, he says in verse 41, no, you are imitating your real father. And they're like, we're not illegitimate children. God himself is our father. Jesus says, if you... If God was your father, you would love me because the because I have come uh, to you from God. I am not, excuse me, I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you can't hear me for you are children of the father, the devil, of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things. And so he's saying, boom, two worlds, two families. There's the, the father of one family is the devil. The father of another family is God. Now, by the way, they're not even, but I don't have time to talk about that. So he's saying there's two families, there's two worlds, and you're in one or the other. Anyone who belongs to God will gladly receive my words. He says in verse seven, but if you don't listen, you're not of me. So he's saying you're either in this world or you're in this world. You're either in this family or you're in this family. Now, when we, look into, when we look into the epistles, one of the easiest places to see this is in Ephesians chapter 2. I don't have that much time to cover all of it, but in Ephesians chapter 2, over and over again, he says, once you were slaves, uh, you know, once you were part of that kingdom, once you were dead in your sins, you were disobedient, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. It says in verse 1 and 2, Obeying the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world. See, that kingdom again. And he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey. Once you were without hope, without God, without a future, he's talking about this one kingdom. But now you are citizens of God. And he, he, so there's one king, there's two kings. Very important that we understand that Jesus, when he's, when he's talking about freedom, He's talking, about, he's talking about it in the context of these two families or these two worlds or two kingdoms. Once you get that, then freedom will begin to understand, you'll begin to understand freedom very much. Now, I want to say this because when we use the word freedom, many times, uh, uh, let, let me just say it this way. You have to remember there's only two kingdoms. There's not three kingdoms. Many times we think we, we think of it as three kingdoms. Okay, I'm gonna explain. There's the kingdom of darkness, the father of lies, 
the prince of this world, the prince of the air, the power of this, the kingdom of darkness, the devil is the one over that. He is the father of that family. Then, and I don't really want to say it this way, then we have the kingdom of heaven, okay? God is the father. God is the king. We have that world, right? He is that kingdom, right? This world lives forever. This world lives forever, but it lives outside of any kind of hope, or I won't get into that. But a lot of times when we use the word freedom here, just like our misunderstanding of slavery, we think there's a third kingdom. So we think dark king of dark kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, and I'll say it this way, kingdom of me or kingdom of independence. So when we use the word freedom, sometimes we consider ourselves to be independent of anything. And that cannot be, that is so far from the truth in the understanding of freedom. Jesus says, okay, Jesus says you're in one of these two worlds. One of these worlds brings you into bondage and one of these worlds sets you free, okay? Very important that we understand this. And so uh, we, when we think of freedom being independent, no, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus actually gives us a very interesting insight to who we are as human beings and how he created us. In some ways, it's almost an insult. There's other ways where it's not. But to get you to understand this point, I'm going to say it this way. When God designed us, when he built us, when he created us, he made us dependent people. We depend on things. We are dependent people, which means that we're going to depend on something. And if we think we're depending on ourselves, that's a lie from the pit. So if you think when you say, I am free, I am fully independent, that is actually a lie from the pit. And actually you're still in the, in the in, you're still walking in the principles of darkness. Because remember going all the way back to Exodus, when people were in bondage, when people were in, 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 in bondage to the Egyptians, God did miracles, what? To set them free and then what? to lead them to serve God. He brought them to himself so that they would serve and worship and depend upon the Lord. And so there was never three worlds. There's only two. And you're either in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness. You either have God as your father or you have the devil as your father. Okay, so this is very important uh, to understand. And before we jump into the next part, uh, that I think once you understand these two kingdoms, everything starts falling into place for you. And, and, and I'm going to show you how uh, in this next part of, of the idea of freedom. But before I do, I, I hope, I know I went fast. I did that in 25 minutes. Um, I'm going to stop here for a second. And you can ask anything you want about anything I said or about anything in terms of the understanding of freedom 
maybe something you heard, maybe something you learned that sounds different than what I said, anything like that, I'm going to stop. And I always hear my, my, my daughter, Rachel, say to me, Dad, you never wait long enough. So I will sit patiently and wait to see if there's any questions. Feel free. Don't worry. There's no bad question uh, or anything. There's just helping us understand. Lauren, come on the screen for a second, unless you snuck out of the room and just showed your picture. She must have ran off. Oh, there she is. Hi. Did I go too fast? Yes. Sorry, Even I guys. was struggling to stay up with you. <laughs> I have okay. a feeling I went too fast. All right, so I'll review a bit before I move on, just so we can get it. And for, for us, and then you can, if you guys are still thinking of a question, for you to truly understand freedom, let me summarize this. First, you have to understand that when God created us, he created us as dependent people, as dependent people. No matter how hard you try, we are dependent people. <laughs> that was funny. Thank you for that little, those encouraging words right there. And so we're going to be dependent. What are we going to be dependent on? We're either going to be dependent upon God or we're going to be dependent upon lies from the kingdom of darkness. Okay. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he knows that the people don't really know how to be free. Why? Because they were depending upon, they were depending upon the law to set them free. They tried to do all these religious things thinking that was going to set them free. They thought if they were free from in political and they were like their own nation, then they would be free. But Jesus comes on the scene and starts talking about this idea of these two worlds and the, the way to be free is to live in the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God, okay? One of the reasons why in the book of Matthew you hear uh, Jesus use the term kingdom of heaven is he was a Jew and he would not often use the term kingdom of God because they didn't like to use the word God uh, because remember how I don't know if you know this but Jewish people never used the word that's uh, a God because it was sacred and they didn't want to put it on their tongue so that would be one of the reasons why he would say kingdom of heaven so he's saying to us here we are and basically he's yelling at us when, when he comes on the scene he's saying you guys are in the kingdom of darkness I want to bring you into the kingdom of light, which will bring freedom. Now, in a minute, I'm going to talk about how that works. But you cannot have freedom here in the kingdom of darkness. You can only have freedom here. This, this king in the kingdom of darkness brings you into bondage, brings you into slavery. All the things that we talked about, that's what this kingdom does. And this kingdom sets you free. 
So you're, so the, the, the bad news, the bad news here is who do you want to be a slave to? Who do you want to be a slave to? Do you want to be a slave to the kingdom of darkness or a slave to the kingdom of heaven? Because you're going to be a slave either way. Now, God doesn't really use the word slave as much as servant. But this is the idea. Are you catching it now as I slowed down, tried to show you something? What's that? That's good? Oh, that's a good speed. My wife is telling me this is a good speed. Oh, that's from Lauren. Okay, thank you, Lauren. So that's the idea here. I went really fast because the next part is the meat. Although that's all foundation I just gave you. And without the foundation, you won't be able to get the meat. Okay? So before I move on, does everyone understand? Now, just so you know, I'm not really talking about how to get from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus said, you must believe in me. That's how we get in there. We, we take a step of faith and we see, but I'm not here to talk about salvation as much as I'm here to talk about what freedom is all about. So I can't keep, I can't go back to this spot. So if you don't know how to get from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, message me and I will help you get there. Okay. But you're in one of the other. Okay. Any questions? Sorry, I went really fast. Any questions? Are you completely confused now? All right. Oh, we have a question. I'm just waiting. Thank you. Martha, unmute yourself and come out and ask your question. Oh, you asked it in the chat. Okay. He made us he he made us open for choices, like the famous picture of Jesus in front of the door. Okay. Yep. Uh, which which has a handle only on one side. Yeah. Meaning that our choice is letting him in. Uh, I don't understand why he made us dependent. Ah, that's an excellent question. This is an excellent question. Okay. What's interesting here, Martha, and this is something I'm going to talk about in a minute. So we have these two kingdoms, right? We have the kingdom of darkness, we have the kingdom of light. Now, God in creating us has, has given us a measure of faith. And the Holy Spirit, now we're talking about salvation here, does give us, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to choose to come into the kingdom of God, just like you're saying, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him and, and, and be with him. Yes, we have that choice. But inside these kingdoms, inside these kingdoms, uh, well, let's say it this way, inside the kingdom of darkness, you really don't have choice. You are not given choice at all. You are giving, you, there's no choice at all. You are a slave 
under complete dominion of the evil one. It's different in the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm going to talk about in a minute. So, so in a sense, when you come into the kingdom of God, it's really, other than the, 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 the idea of the choice to, to, to step out in faith and get saved, other than that choice, you have never had choice in the kingdom of darkness. And for the first time, God has now given you choice. That's why in, 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 when you look at these two kingdoms, you have the kingdom of darkness, you have the kingdom of light, right? And so you have this, this king, this guy is the oppressor. He's the, he's the devil. He oppresses, he binds, he causes you to be in slavery. He wants you to come under him and, and presses down on him. And on this side, you have, you have the king who sets you free, gives you choice, and allows you to choose to serve him, to become a, uh, a bond servant, as we saw earlier, a bond servant, to freely choose to serve God. It's the first time you have choice. That's why in Joshua chapter one, the Old Testament, it basically says it this way, choose this day who you will, who you will serve. Choose. Choose which kingdom. After that, everything changes. So once you're in the kingdom of light, you actually have choice. You actually have, God gives you choice in the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness, he don't give you any choice. He puts you into bondage. His thing is to put, uh, uh, now I'm preaching, but to put, to put chains on you, to bind you, to bury you, to use you, to, to see you in the deepest, darkest hole. That's what, his, that's what his goal is, to lie to you and keep you there. But whereas in, in Christ, he sets you free. And so what I mean when I say those that think that we are, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, Martha, but I'm going to say it so that it helps you maybe understand. But in a minute, you're going to understand it better. When we say there's a third kingdom where we say, I am completely independent from God or from the devil. Well, no, you're not. Because your choices will then kind of result in what happens to you. Okay. Uh, meaning, when you're in Christ and you choose to follow his ways, his way of faith, his way of love, his way of joy, they produce things in your life. What does it say they, they produce? We're going to see that in a minute. They produce righteousness. They produce a feeling, in a sense, of freedom. This idea of joy. This is all feelings of freedom. That's what the, that's what the, the kingdom does. When we choose, now again, when we're in the kingdom of heaven, we can still choose to follow the ways of the evil one. And what do they produce in our lives? Death, destruction. And so we might be free, but we're still bound. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Does that make sense, Martha? I'm looking over. Yeah? Does that answer your question? Yeah, does that answer your question? 
She's, I, you're nodding yes. So I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. sorry, because I'm just using my phone. Usually okay. I use my laptop. So no it's hard for me to, which one should I click? <laughs> sorry, Pastor Don. I got it, but, what you're saying. It's clear. Thank you. And it will be actually more clear in, in about two minutes. But that's okay. a great, that's an excellent question. That is, that is one of the best questions I've gotten because that's the only one I've gotten. No, no. <laughs> any, any, anyone else have a question? Okay. Thank you for slowing me down. Thank you for asking that question. It's a great question. Anyone else? Okay, if not, if you have your Bibles, if you are able to go to your Bible, I want you to go to Romans chapter six because in Romans chapter six, we're going to kind of probably only be able to cover this. This whole chapter helps us in the understanding of this idea of freedom. Okay. Now, I've got not enough room. I've got two computers open and I still want to go somewhere else, but let me see if I can go somewhere else for a second just to kind of set this up in a little better way. Okay, so when you, everybody start getting to Romans chapter six, okay? Okay. Okay, so in chapter six, In chapter six, we're just going to walk through it and I'm going to keep commenting slowly. Oh, wait a minute. I have a question. Whoa. Is that similar like God gave us free will? Okay. Uh, good question, Booty. Um, can, can, you, can you unmute yourself and just be a little more clear on the question? It's okay. You can talk a little bit so I can make sure I understand your question. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe like uh, the coming of Yeah. Okay, I think I, I think I actually can answer. It. I, I think I understand what your question is. It's funny you didn't say much, but I still think I got it. Now, when it comes to free will, okay, this idea of being free which means you have choice. I do believe that when God created us, he actually, he, he, gave us, he gave us enough faith. I always say it that way. He gave us enough faith. And then through the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can choose Jesus. We can, uh, even though it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm being very uh, theological, especially if you're going to put me on, YouTube. Oh no, it's gonna. I'm gonna scare just to go on there, because then we got all these people that. Yeah. Anyways, so God, you know, we we we, the Holy Spirit encourages us and 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 continues to convict us to choose God. We have that free will to built into us that idea of free will that brings us into the kingdom of heaven. Because we, we, we're in the kingdom, you know, those who don't know Jesus, they're, 
you know, we're, we're before we even get to the kingdom of heaven, we're start we, in a sense, we start out in the kingdom of, of darkness. Let's just say it that way. Um, and so we do have that choice, but I'm talking about um, the, the idea of choice of living your life, like, like living uh, more abundantly on this earth. If you're not in the kingdom of heaven, you, you, you are under the control of the devil and all his, his, uh, uh, all his power. I, I, I quoted that verse. I'm going to go back up to it just for a second to kind of show you. Where is it? It's in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this. Once you were dead, uh, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. You're living in sin. You're in the darkness. Just like the rest of the world, obeying, you were, the, you were obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. So like your heart was always in bondage to this. So, so your choices in life, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with money. Because, you know, you could be miserable and have money. It doesn't mean that you're going to have, you know, prosperity in the way people have defined it. I'm talking about soul here. You will never have the idea of freedom in your soul because the king of the kingdom of darkness will, will it just continues to bring guilt and shame and condemnation and all those things he brings into your life. And that's what he wants in your life. So even though, you're, you, you maybe uh, can choose to get out of it. That's the faith and that free will. Inside here, you are controlled by the, by the evil desires of the devil, period. When you come into the kingdom of light, what happens is God recreates you and he doesn't, he, he, he forgives you of all your sin. He does all these things to you and he, he makes you into the person he wants you to be. And he basically says this, Booty, he basically says, you are now free. You're free to choose me. You're free to walk in me. You're free to, I have a life, a purpose for you, a way to bring joy into your life, a way to bring, uh, to, to, to help you overcome the, the, the stresses of life. All of the, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a way, a, a lifestyle for you to live, you can choose that lifestyle because now I've given you the power to choose it. And so in this kingdom, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, Booty, but you, it's a good question. So, so in this kingdom, you are free. You are free to choose God. You are free to not choose God. You are free to actually choose your own way. That's why I, if you heard, heard my sermon a, a few weeks ago uh, in 1 Corinthians, forgive me, it's either chapter 9 or chapter 10, verse 1. It says, uh, Paul says, all things are permissible. All things are permissible. Uh, but not everything is profitable. I'm, I'm actually going to go there, uh, Booty. If you just give me one second, I will get there. I think it's chapter 10, but I'm going to check. Yes, I think it's chapter 10 because it's definitely not chapter 9. 
I do. I am so mad. I, I can't find it off the top of my head. But I know it's there. Trust me, it's there. I'll have to go back and look later. I will get it to you. But he says, all things are permissible, but not everything is profitable. All things are permissible, but I will be mastered by none. See, now he's using mastery. He's talking about being a, some, something being a master over him. So see, what happens, I think I'm going slow enough. Here you are in the kingdom of darkness. No choice. You are going to, you are going to, a chain is put around your neck and you are going to follow the evil desires. You know, this is what's going to happen to you. And at the end of your life, you're going, you're going to be away from God. You're going to end up in the kingdom of darkness. Now, God has given you faith and the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Jessica. It's John, it's first, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter six, verse 12. I wasn't even close, but anyways, I knew it was in Corinthians. So you, you're here now. God gives you enough faith. Oh yeah. It is chapter 10. I knew it was, thank you. I'm pretty sure it's chapter 10, verse 23. It's right in there. Trust me, go back and find it. God gives you enough faith and the Holy Spirit comes and gives you, he, he, it says he convicts you in John chapter 16. He convicts you, it convicts you of sin and of righteousness. He convicts you of uh, and says, believe, believe. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Believe, you know you're not happy here. Believe, believe in me. I will set you free from this bondage. And so then you choose. I do believe you choose. I believe God gives you the power. Uh, when I say gives you the power through the Holy Spirit to choose and to come into the kingdom of God, to be born again, to now be a son of God. Hallelujah. In his family. Now you're in his family. Okay. When you're in his family, he doesn't treat you like this guy treated you. He doesn't make you serve him. He wants you, he gives you choice. He wants you to serve him. He says, here is, here is the life I give you. It's a great life. And the more you follow it, the more freedom you will experience. I believe you're completely free, but there's a difference between being free and experiencing freedom. Okay? So, and, and as you follow God, as you follow his way, you experience this idea of freedom. And boy, does that feel good. Well, how do you experience freedom? Okay, here's one way. Um, when you're in the kingdom of darkness and, and you sin, I don't know, you, you treat someone unfairly and you oppress them and you feel guilty, okay? Or you, you, know, you lust after someone and you, you, know, you, you commit sin. So what does this king do? You sinner, you worthless piece of crap. You deserve nothing. You, you deserve to be in hell. That's why you are under me. You deserve, and, and, and you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And what are you experiencing? More bondage. When you're in this kingdom and you make a mistake, what does this king do? Yeah, just, just talk to me about it. Confess. I forgive you of it. 
You're set free from it. I paid the price for it. You are now free. You don't have to feel guilty. You know, as, as he said, in, in, as Jesus said, when he said to the adulterous woman, neither do I condemn thee. Romans chapter eight, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this, this kingdom has such freedom in your life now and also in the life to come. Booty, wave if I answered your question. So yeah, I answered, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And in a minute, now that everyone's here in, Rome, in Romans chapter six, right? We're gonna walk through Romans chapter six. I'm gonna highlight certain passages, certain parts um, of that. But those two questions, uh, Martha Booty, thank you. Those were great questions. And they slowed me down. And I think I'm able to show what I was talking about earlier. I'm looking over at my wife, Carol. She's saying yes. And if my wife says yes, then I'm doing really well. <laughs> um, it says, okay, verse six. Now, he is talking to believers, okay? He's going to start talking about what it all means uh, about being a believer. He says, he has just talked about being set free. And he says, well, then, should we continue on sinning so that uh, God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. Because he's just laid out the whole idea that to enter into this kingdom, you are completely free, that God forgives you completely, and you are free. And so the conclusion, and you have heard many people conclude this, and I even get yelled at by pastors, but I will continue because I believe it's biblical in this, to say that when you come to Christ, you are completely free and you can do whatever you want. Now, what this is saying is, if you're here, do you want to continue to sin like you used to so that God can just say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you? Of course not. He's saying what? Since, in verse 2, since we have died to sin, we've died to this, how can we live and how can we live in this kingdom anymore? Since we've died to it, since we've left this kingdom and now we're alive in Christ, why, why do we want to live here? It was a terrible way to live. Why do we want to live here? Verse three, have you forgotten that when you were joined, that you were joined with Christ in baptism, you were joined in his death, you were joined in his death, we have died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised uh, from the dead by his glorious power, now we also may live new lives. We were here. Baptism is symbolic that we now have moved here. So why do we want to live here anymore? Since this life, this world was terrible, let's live here now. That's what it's saying. New lives. This is our new life in a new kingdom, in a new way. He goes on. He says, since we have been united with Christ in his death, 
we will also be raised to life as he was. Now, verse six, here we go. Now we're going to talk about slavery. We know that our old, we know, okay, kingdom of darkness. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So we know that our old selves, when we were here, have been crucified with Christ so that this guy, this, this devil, all that power is taken away from him. Woo! This dude has no power over us anymore when we are in Christ. When we are here, no more power. No more power. I don't know how excited you can be. I am so excited when I realize this. When I, hallelujah, we have been set free. No more dominion. We have been, we, this, this person has no more dominion or this devil has no more dominion over us. Okay? He goes on and says, since we died with Christ, we will also live with him. We live with him now. We're not here. We're here. And in here, we are free. It goes on and says, it, this for, we'll just read these. We are sure of this because Christ raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death, kingdom of darkness, death has, has no longer has power over Christ and so no longer has power over us. When, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. That's for us. Verse 11. This is the interesting part. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Dead to the power, alive. Are we catching it now? It's. I hope this is starting to make sense to you now. Now, here comes the interesting part. Do not let sin control the way you live. This is where we're getting into freedom now. Do not let sin control, verse 12, control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So what happens when we come here, we still have leftover stuff, leftover thinking, leftover bad ways to live. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, and it's a great example. My wife and I, we're from the United States. That's our budaya, our culture, our world, right? Guess when we, when we drove in, in, in the United States, we drove on the other side of the road. We went a different way. So here, where we drive on the left side. In America, we, we go this way on the left side. We go this way on the right side, right? In, the, in, the, in, the, in America, it's opposite. So when I came to Indonesia, it would have been death for me to drive on the opposite side of the road, right? Even though you motorcycles break those rules. But you understand what I'm saying? And I had to learn 
a new way of thinking. Literally, I had to be very aware when I took turns um, to make sure I didn't go on the wrong side of the road. When I go back to America, I've been here for so long, when I go back to America, the same thing happens. I have to actually kind of rethink so I don't drive on the wrong side of the road. Why? Because they're two different worlds. And so I've been living in this world of darkness. I think certain things. And sometimes we even think God thinks that way. So we've been thinking that way. We come into this kingdom and, and we start, we're still living like this way. But God's saying no. So that's why he said, don't let sin control the way you live. And then verse 13, this is amazing. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were, for you were dead and now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right uh, uh, for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law or under the requirements of the evil one. Instead, you are now living under, listen to that. It doesn't say you're, li this is the interesting part in verse 14. He doesn't say you live under the control of God. He says, instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So in one, he references, you lived under the control of the evil one. In the other one, he says, you live in freedom under his grace. Now give yourself to God. That's what I mean when you come into the kingdom of this world, of kingdom of, of God, he actually gives you choice to serve him. So what happens is you have free choice. Finally, you finally have free choice. Now, and I'm looking at you, Booty. Now the question is, do you want to give yourself to God and become a bondservant of Jesus Christ? You want to become, you want to freely serve God with your heart because that's what love is. That's what choice is. And when you do, you will experience freedom. Does that make sense? Everyone give me a thumbs up if, I, if, you're, if I'm finally making sense. Nobody's giving me thumbs up. They've all shut off the screen. Who knows what's going on out there? Okay, awesome, awesome. So verse 15, well then, since God's grace, listen to this, Booty, you got to love this. I'm so excited. That question you asked was so good. Same thing with Martha. This is so good right here. Well then, since God's grace has set you free from the law, this, uh, but he's using a different analogy here, but does that mean that we should go on sinning? Of course not. Don't, now this is the key. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? So see, he's using slavery again. He's saying, if you choose God, you've chosen to become a free uh, servant or slave of God who sets you more and more free. Or if you choose to 
follow the ways of the devil, you will become, you'll come into bondage. Does that make sense? Now I need to clarify something. Okay, so uh, wait a minute, let me finish. You can choose, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So when you're in Christ, you finally have choice. What do you want to do? You want to live free or do you want to live in bondage? I've taught this in one of my classes. Uh, it's actually um, uh, a, a theologian. His name is Augustine. He said it this way. It's going to take a second. Probably have to say it twice. Before you come to God, when you're in the kingdom of darkness, you are unable not to sin. And it's a double negative, takes a second. It means no matter what you do, you are still in this kingdom of sin. No matter what you do, you're unable to get out of it. Okay? You're unable. You cannot get out of it, no matter what you do, unless you choose Christ. You're unable. No matter what your actions do, you are in this kingdom, and you are stuck. When you come to the kingdom of God, the, the theologian says you're unable not to sin. But if you come to God, you're actually able to sin. Meaning you can choose to go back that way. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. It's a whole other theological subject. All I'm saying is as, as a child, so, so let's, let's try to give it this way. Um, Okay, adoption is the one of the most biblical things you could do. And I'm reminded of my friend, Justin, who, 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 who uh, had a family, they adopted six kids in his family. And so they, their, their family had a certain way of living. They really love people. They, they're very loving family, very accepting. You, you, you can't be in, you, you can't adopt six kids if you're not that way. And so I asked him one time, I said, Justin, when, when someone, when, when, when one of your, one of the kids was adopted into your family, when did you consider them family? He goes, the day they walked in the door. They were my brother as soon as they walked in the door. That's how we thought. That's the way we lived. And I said, how long did it take that kid who got adopted to realize that he was part of the family? He goes, oh, that took time. So I said, there were times where that kid did not think he was part of the family, even though he was. And he says, yeah, it took him a while to realize that he was part of our family. That's just what happens when we leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of light. We still sometimes have this kind of uh, what we say, stinking thinking, lousy thinking. We still think we live here, but we live here. And sometimes we choose to to walk this way. And when we do, the results of sin always are the same. Death and bondage, guilt. The ways of the kingdom, freedom, joy, peace. His ways always produce that. And so there's the idea of choice. Verse 17. Thank God, once you were, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Wait, 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 wait. I got to make sure I'm using the right. I, I think I missed something. Any questions on this? Okay. Any questions? We catching this? Okay, verse 17. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now wholeheartedly obeying this teaching we have given you, now you are free from the slavery. Listen to this. Free from the slavery of sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Remember I talked about? You're going to be a slave of one or the other. Verse, that's verse 18. Verse 19, a little bit later, he says, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led into deeper sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will be holy. Remember how I talked about that word, uh, dror, in the Old Testament? It talked about purity or free from impurities. That's what we're seeing right here, this idea of holiness. Holiness will be free from impurities, which will be freedom. Verse 20, in chapter 6, Romans chapter, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation of doing right. <laughs> I guess you did have freedom there. Just the, the, And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, the things that end in eternal doom. See, that's what that life will give you. But now you are free from the power of sin to become slaves to God. Now you do the things that lead to holiness and, and result in eternal life. So here's the idea. This is why some people don't, this is why, this is why they, when, they, when they think of three kingdoms, as I talked about, when they think of it as three kingdoms, they don't get it. So they, they're, in the, they're in the kingdom of uh, uh, darkness, right? And they think when God sets them free, they're in the kingdom of independence. I can do whatever I want with no obligation, with no uh, uh, king. But you cannot live without a king. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. This third kingdom doesn't exist. The reason why they want it to exist is because they actually don't want to serve God. I got bad news for you. They don't want to serve God. And so that's why people, you'll hear people say, I don't, I don't want to come to Christ. When I come to Christ, you know, he's going to make me do all these things. See, they don't want to be a slave. But what they don't realize is they're already a slave. And the second thing they don't realize is when they come to God, this freedom really comes over you. I don't know about you, but I love being free from, from, uh, from condemnation. Uh, I love being free from guilt, shame. I love to be free from the fact that, like, I don't have to, like, when I try, I try to be honest, because God wants us to be honest. So now I don't have to remember everything I said, because I don't have to, because liars always have to remember everything. 
The only way you can be a good liar is to remember everything. If not, you're caught all the time. So now you have all this weight on you. You have this weight of guilt when you, when you take advantage of people, you have this weight. Everybody understand now? Um, I'm gonna stop because I, I, I didn't even get into Galatians. <laughs> and Galatians, really Galatians use this as I, uses not so much the idea of, uh, Galatians help us to understand uh, where the law plays the part, how the law works between these two kingdoms. Um, but I, I don't have time to cover all that. I didn't think I was going to, but I, I, I wanted to make sure I covered. That's why I went fast. In Romans chapter six, that, that kind of puts the light on. Pudi, you look like you're really thinking. <laughs> it's good. That's why we call it deeper. Um, so I'm going to stop here and open it up for any questions that anybody might have or anything that you might uh, feel like you want to ask. You can ask anything you want. Maybe I was, I, I hope I was clear. I know I got clear. I know I wasn't clear at the beginning, but I think I got clear at the end. 